Welcome to Sense by Meg Forer, the podcast that's brought to you by ParentSense, the app that takes guesswork out of parenting. If you're a new parent, then you are in good company. Your host, Meg Forer, is a well-known OT, infant specialist, and the author of eight parenting books. Each week, we're going to spend time with new mums and dads just like you to chat about the week's wins, the challenges, and the questions of the moment. Subscribe to the podcast, download the ParentSense app, and catch Make Here every week to make the most of that first year of your little one's life. And now, meet your host. Welcome back, mums and dads. It is such a pleasure to have you here with us today. As usual, each week, you are joining me, Meg Fora, on Sense by Meg Fora, where we talk about the different things that uh, mums and dads come across in the first few years of their children's lives. And we touch on a wide variety of subjects from infant feeding through to development, stimulation, health. And today we are touching on a subject that is actually very close to my heart, and that is the subject of cesarean sections. Some of you may know that my third one was an emergency cesarean section. So I am right there alongside all of you moms who have either chosen the route to um, deliver your little one through cesarean section or are going to have to for a reason that is outside of your control, or maybe you're looking back, you've just had your baby and you had a cesarean section. And so today we're going to be talking about all types of things surrounding this specific topic. And of course, in this particular case, I'm certainly not an expert other than having had a cesarean section. And so I am accompanied by somebody who is very close to women and their birth. And that is um, our specialist midwife who is on the team with us. And her name is Tina Arti. Tina, thank you so much for joining us today. It's such a pleasure. Always wonderful to chat with you. So Tina and I have worked together over many years. She is an incredible source of wisdom for moms around the birth of their child. She runs very, very busy antenatal classes. And if you haven't done her preparing for birth class, which is inside the um, Parent Sense app, you really should go and do that. Tina, you, other than doing antenatal classes, what else has formed part of your career as you've moved along as a midwife? Gosh, well, my first child got me into teaching antenatal classes because I got the shock of my life. Mm -hmm. And along the way, I I was always very active at school and did exercises. And with my medical knowledge and my aerobics knowledge, because I taught aerobics for a while, I went on then to develop a course for fitness instructors and midwives on safe exercise in pregnancy, which was a huge love for me for the longest, longest time. And then in the year 2000, I then qualified as a certified baby massage instructor. And I've been doing baby massage instructing, if you like, for for 23 years almost. And and, and along the way, I got internationally certified. I realized that as a midwife, you can't just walk off a a labor ward or a, a maternity ward and just know how to go and teach and that. So I had to do a lot of research. I've written a couple of books. And of course, my greatest teachers have been my own children and the people that I've had the privilege of sharing their journey through pregnancy, birth and early parenthood. Learned a lot from them as well. A lot. An, am- an absolutely amazing journey. Absolutely. And you've had an amazing journey, Tina, and touched so many lives. So today we're going to be talking not about vaginal delivery, which is what you do teach quite a bit of in your antenatal class, but we're also going to talk about, or we're rather going to talk about cesarean sections. And the reason that we chose this topic is that recently we did a preparing for parenthood event with you. And there were so many questions from women who are going to be having Caesars. And so we decided to bring those questions here today. For those of you who are listening from abroad, outside of South Africa, 
You might want to know that South Africa has actually one of the highest cesarean section rates in the world in the private sector. I think it sits at around about 75% in some years of babies are delivered um, by cesarean section. And so it's becoming an increasingly popular choice in many countries and including, of course, South Africa. Now, the reasons for choosing a, a C-section vary from one woman to the next. And sometimes it's driven by safety and reducing the risks associated with vaginal birth. And that's especially the case now that women are often having babies later or in the case of a prem birth or obviously our multiple births as well. But at other times, women actually just choose C-sections because they just want predictability. They just want to know exactly when their baby's going to be born and they don't want to leave it up to mother nature because they like to have some sense of what's going to happen and maybe there's very heightened anxiety with just leaving it to kind of run its course. So today we are going to be talking about the very best tips that you can do in order to prepare yourself both for the cesarean delivery, but also how to speed up recovery and also how to connect with your little one immediately after birth. So we're going to be covering off a whole lot of information all the way through from um, preparing your head, preparing your body, what happens in the moment, and then of course what happens afterwards. And Tina is going to be our guide. So Tina, I've got some wonderful questions from um, our, our listeners and we're going to dive right in. Fantastic. So cesarean sections are on the increase, and certainly in South Africa, we have a very high rate of C-sections, but it might be useful for us to understand why it is that C-sections are so often recommended, and are there specific medical indications when you really should be having a C-section? Okay, so let me answer the first part of that question, and certainly pertaining to South Africa and the state of our health system and the state of our nursing uh, and the qualifications. And there are many doctors who love doing vaginal births, in terms of pre-birth care, post-birth care, labor care, and that they don't always have confidence in the staff. And if a mom hasn't delivered at a certain time in the day, might say, listen, if by five o'clock we need to make a call. And a lot of them are then encouraging the moms to have for very good reasons. And and in terms of safety and the times coming out at night, whatever, in our country, that situation. There's also a huge issue with litigation as well. And as our doctors are probably pay some of the highest insurance, medical malpractice insurance in the world. So that's a huge consideration as well. If we're looking at the second part of the question as to why medical reasons for cesarean, I kind of put it into three categories. It would fall under maternal, it would fall under fetal, and it would fall under mechanical. So, for example, maternal would be a mom with diabetes. You know, they burn energy. Their babies are big. They can go into coma. So they could possibly go for vaginal birth, depending how well controlled they are. But very often, the, the babies need to come sooner because they're bigger. And doctors just would not, you know, nobody likes to deal with an emergency. We don't ever want to go there. So they'd rather be cautious and in terms of that. If a mom has a heart problem, heart disease or something like that, if she has preeclampsia or help syndrome, of course, that's without any arguments. It would be safer for a mom to have a seizure. It's more controlled. We have all the necessary experts on hand should something actually go wrong. And but, Tina, just, just before you yeah. move on, just you mentioned the word help syndrome and um, that people probably don't know yeah. what that is. I know that one of the symptoms is very high yeah, blood no. pressure, but what is it? Very high. Okay, so it's to do with your platelets. It's a very long name, and I can't always remember it myself. It's like a next progression onto preeclampsia. It's very dangerous. And the thing about it is that moms don't always realize with the preeclampsia then going on to where there's elevated platelets and there's all kinds of problems with the, in the mother's blood, that mothers don't feel as sick as they are. And they mm -hmm. can 
go downhill really quickly and we can lose a mom really, really quickly. And that's why they always check your blood pressure and they're checking what's in your urine and molecules that shouldn't be coming in the urine, they are in the urine, they're checking your blood, things like the headaches and all of those things are warning signs. And that's one of the top, top reasons for, in my estimation anyway, for a really good reason for a mom to be having Caesar for Mm -hmm. a medical kind Mm -hmm. of thing because that that can turn ugly really, really quickly. Mm -hmm. Okay, so we've got our first bucket, which is all of our mum reasons, our mum-driven reasons. All of our mum reasons, correct. So then the next is looking at our fetus, so our, at our little baby. Okay, there might be a little baby that's just not growing, a small for gestational age, intrauterine growth retardation, for, for whatever reason that doctors may decide that baby is better out in the world than inside the womb. It's a big decision to make. It's not made lightly. And then those babies would be taken out in a control situation with the, the, the pediatricians and everybody on hand to take that baby to wherever that baby needs to go in order to be okay. Multiple pregnancies. In many parts of the world, twins are delivered vaginally, but in our country, it's don't even ask unless you go to a midwife. You won't easily find a obstetrician being very keen to deliver twins vaginally at all. Prematurity, as I said, uh, malpresentations that could be a baby could be transverse, or a baby might even be occipital posterior. And a mom in that case would be, that's when the baby's back lies against the mother's back. So the kind of the diameters aren't all right for that baby to come through. But there's a lot you can try and do beforehand if you are keen to have a vaginal birth, but this baby's persistently sitting with its back against your back. Um, the, the things you can do, there's certain exercises you can do, positions you can get into, a visit to your chiropractor, looking at your pelvis to kind of try and get that baby into a better position. A second was born like that. And oh, my word, was that sore. That was a uh, vaginal uh, delivery with a lot of pain. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's it. I did not know that. I take my hat off to you. It's usually prolonged and the pain is not fun at all. But, you know, once again, there's certain things you can do with reflexology and you're going to qualified practitioner who can help get that baby into a better position and what I used to do in my exercise classes used to get mothers to actually crawl because we don't crawl anymore mm. so we can get the heaviest part of that baby the back to kind of turned into to mom's front so I would encourage the moms to like lean on their coffee tables on their knees and crawl down the passage and of course the fathers had a fun time with that and like I'm so going to make her work up and down and polish floors but that's one seriously one of the best things that you could actually do to try and turn an OP baby and it's not a huge male position, but it's one that can really make you uncomfortable. You go through labor and end up with a Caesar yeah. anyway. So you and, can actually um, deliver those babies naturally. And in many countries, you certainly would be delivering them naturally. What about breech yes. babies, babies who are coming with their feet first? Yes. Okay. So in this country, there's not even a chance you'd find an obstetrician to deliver a breech baby because it's, it's high risk and you need to be well experienced in doing that. And with all respect to the doctor said, if you haven't done it for a while, or if you haven't done many, then you don't want to do many because we're not in a country where you have to do that or you need, that's an option you have to try first to try and deliver that baby. But they won't, because of the high risk and the litigation issues and that, I know some doctors who said, if you persist in me wanting a vaginal birth with a breach, for example, either find another doctor or sign this document and Mm. say that you will not hold me responsible. So Mm. there is the litigation and the legal side of things that really always kind of mess up things a little bit for us. But Mm. there are many midwives who are very proficient at doing vaginal breach deliveries. And once again, depending on, on the position, 
position of that baby. And sometimes you can get the baby to turn, but in a splint position, those babies often don't turn. But if they got their little knees curled up or, or, or sometimes feet first, then sometimes we can try. But that's certainly one of the top reasons up there for cesarean. So when we're looking mechanically at the uterus, if you like, okay, so sometimes we, in labor, failure to progress would end up with Caesar very often. But what we could look at is would be things like placenta previa. There's no way that baby would be alive, okay, if it came out. So there's no question. It's like, thank goodness there's another way out. Placenta the word previa. placenta previa means? Okay, previa being previous in front of the baby. What, what happens is the placenta, and there are degrees of it, but if it's very close or covering part of the cervix or completely covering the cervix, that cushion of the placenta, as the cervix starts to open, it would then start having a problem with the blood supply to the baby, which means there's no oxygen to the baby. So there's no way to get that baby out other than to seizure that mommy. So that's an absolute reason. And, and that's also what I'd like to say. You get absolute reasons where there's absolutely no way out. And that's one of them, okay, for that baby. And then you get relative reasons where, like an OP position, as there's a chance we can get that baby out, but we'd rather not do, do put you through that kind of thing. And like you just said, with an OP, you did it. And it's, it's, it's unbelievable that you did. And it's longer usually, it's more painful, whatever. And the doctors would be like, I mean, because the whole thing of the doctors have your interests at heart, but at the same time, looking after their own responsibility to you and what they think is best for you at that time. Mm. So just getting back to the placenta being in the way of the baby, that's an absolute reason. And if a mom has uh, had prolonged rupture of membranes or prolonged water release, okay, then we wait 24 hours maximum, and then they're going to seize us. Sometimes we wait for labor to start. And if it hasn't started, or it started, and it's not doing very well, mm. they might just induce or augment your labor but very often once 24 hours is up and sometimes even before if there's no labor waters have been broken for a while they're going to seize you and then baby would be put and into was, antibiotics and you know that kind of thing yeah. and that was my baby number three so my baby number three my waters broke on the friday night and i was progressing quite nicely until about one o'clock on the saturday afternoon and then my labor just stopped at eight centimeters went no further. And eventually the following night on, on the Saturday night, they said, look, it's been 24 hours. You're going nowhere. So um, we, we had a seizure. So I suppose an emergency cesarean in that I wasn't, I mean, it wasn't too swift. We were able to take our time because there was no massive emergency, but there was no planning for it. So that's also another thing that I'd like to also clear up is like you had a, a non-urgent seizure, but one that you needed. And then you can have the urgent seizure, which is when we run and, mm. and then we've got minutes and you might even need to have a general anesthetic because we haven't got time for an epidural spinal to, to take hold. And do you know what I mean? So you had an unexpected non-urgent seizure, but still I'm sure you had to deal with that because you'd had two vaginal births and you must have been like, what the hell? Mm, it wasn't on the plans. Yeah, it definitely wasn't <laughs> on the plans. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's, uh, then, that's a hard one. I mean, you, you've just touched on something there, the anesthesia. So I had a spinal block and yeah. I had not had pain relief with my other two. So I didn't have an epidural. So that was new to me, the whole bending over and then finding the little space between your, your spine. Could yes. you talk us through the different types of anesthetic that can be used with cesarean sections? This episode is brought to us by ParentSense, the all-in-one baby and parenting app that helps you make the most of your baby's first year. Don't you wish someone would just tell you everything you need to know about caring for your baby? 
when to feed them, how to wean them, and why they won't sleep? ParentSense app is like having a baby expert on your phone guiding you to parent with confidence. Get a flexible routine, daily tips, and advice personalized for you and your little one. Download ParentSense app now from your app store and take the guesswork out of parenting. So they're the three types, okay? There's the spinal, there's the epidural, and then there's the the general anesthetic, which is something we avoid unless a mom really doesn't, for whatever reason, doesn't want to be awake or there's an emergency and there's no time to sit with a needle in the back and keep her still and the whole thing. Most of the doctors, certainly in this country, prefer spinals. They happen, they take effect very quickly. They wear off of three to four hours post-surgery and there's no strapping and there's no needles or pipes in your back. They put it in. Once it's in, it's in three to four minutes to take full effect. And there are other doctors who prefer to do the epidural. It takes a little longer to take effect, but they give you a little bit more of the medication. And that also can wear off over time. And you can also control it from the outside of the spinal. It's in, it's in the plasters on your back and off we go. Then there's some doctors who do, and it's not very common in this country, the combination. So, and especially for afterwards that your spinal will wear off quite quickly but your the epidural will maintain your pain a little bit slower your feeling comes back a little bit slower it starts off with a bit of pins and needles and what most moms don't realize is that as you start to feel more as your anesthesia is, is wearing off you actually get your feeling back from top to bottom and i don't mean top to bottom here i mean top belly and to bum so you start up here at the belly and then slowly you get more and more feeling and until you kind of in your in your buttock area. Okay. It's very important that doctors do different things and they also operate differently and they sew you up differently. Some doctors use glue, some use staples, some use stitches. And usually the two doctors, you have one working on one on the other side and they, sometimes they do single stitches. Sometimes they do one long stitch. Hmm. Sometimes you might find you tighter on the one side than the other because of the different people where doctors working on you <laughs> <Very> interesting <laughs> no, they're different the glue bit really fascinates me now I've never had a Caesar so I don't know what that's like at all but I've just heard with feel afterwards and I'm sure you can relate to that as well as to what does it feel like when someone is actually working on you and you get you yeah. and one mom's it's very interesting feels, it feels, feels like, like someone's in a drawer it's yeah yeah it does, you don't feel pain you just feel pressure you can feel that something's happening that, other things that I, yeah. yeah so i mean other things that moms probably want to know is that usually there is a green sheet between them and or a sterile sheet between them and the caesar so they can't see what's going on and that's fairly typical isn't it yeah it's fairly typical so one of the things um that we discussed a little bit earlier was just how do you prepare yourself psychologically emotionally and if you made the decision already for whatever your reasons are sometimes there's a medical reason and you have to um, come to terms with that especially mm. if you were hoping for a vaginal birth and you kind of talk it through and whether it's with an educator your partner your doctor it's just to express your feelings and maybe your disappointment on that if we are looking at so just preparing again in my classes I like to tell the moms like what are you going to expect what's going to happen in theater especially if you're not a people associated hospitals with 
bad things and sickness mm. and death. Mm. And this is over the years, people have shared this with me. So what's going to happen in theater? What is going to feel like in theater? And also, mm. once again, there's a first stage when we prep you. There's a second stage when you're going to have your baby. And there's the third stage where the placenta comes out. And there's the fourth stage, the golden hour, when you're in the post-op room. So, so let's, let's just talk about stages. So let's just talk about each of those stages. So, I mean, first of all, do cesarean sections always happen in a theater, in a operating yes, always, theater? Well, they should always happen. Always it's happen in an operating theater. It's sterile in the okay. always in an operating theater. You'll be taken in where they check you, they check your allergies, they check your, your name, they make sure your baby's name, just like with a normal nephritis might come and chat to you and he'll explain to you how many people are going to be in the room. That's a surprise for a lot of people. It can be up to 10 people in the room. In your birth plan, you might ask for them to play some of your music. You might want to use some aromatherapy if you're very nervous, whether you've chosen this or not but it's major abdominal surgery and there's it's clinical and so sometimes you might want something to just calm you down whatever so they're going to check what's very important to realize is that only the mom can sign for permission for caesar epidural spinal whatever her partner can't and that's mm -hmm. an important thing to remember as well before you get your medication that all those you get your pre-med your medication to sort of keep you calm and to dry your mouth a little bit whatever once you've received that you can't legally sign anything because you could you say you didn't remember signing anything so that the timing of that's also very important You'll then be taken into theater. You'll be prepped. Usually your one arm is out on the side where that's the arm they're going to give you your drugs in. Your nepotist is standing or sitting very close to you at the head of the bed. He can be a great source of help in terms of taking photographs. They In this country, they've stopped the filming because of the litigation, so they, you're not allowed to film in theatre. They're also going to tell the dad where they can sit if they're feeling woozy, <laughs> if they, where they can fall, joking, <laughs> okay? But if they're feeling woozy, I'd say if you're feeling funny, go and sit in the corner over there. So they talk it through all the way so that the dad doesn't have to be the one taking the photographs. It's his birth too, so that he can watch it not only through a lens, but that he can be very involved. So the nephritis are great in terms of helping you and telling you what's going on. If you lie down when you're pregnant and you're kind of in your nine months of pregnancy, you can't even see your pubic hair at that time. And that's where they're going to cut you. Yeah. So you're not actually unless and beware of this. The, the goggles that the doctors wear and the lights, then often Reflect. you can see the reflection. <laughs> oh and that is traumatized mom. So that yeah. might be, forget Screen. I mean, the screen yeah. might be there and you still might see that. Yeah. So don't look up. Okay. <laughs> and Interesting. You know, try and remember that. I've just had some moms who said, I, did, I saw some things I didn't want to see. And I couldn't see it lying down. But as soon as I looked up, I could actually it was there. see it. Yeah. So, yeah. And Tina, so yeah. now you've been wheeled in, you've been prepped, you've done your signing away, you've now been cut. But from the time of the yeah. cutting, let's say, from the time you're lying there until your baby comes into the world, what sort of period of time are right. we looking at? Is this 10 minutes, half we an look, hour? So from, from start to cut, okay, to the birth of that baby, because they go through all the layers. And, and if they're not an emergency, an emergency, three minutes, that baby can be out. Mm -hmm. Normally, by seven oh. to 10 minutes, usually the whole thing, 60 to 90 minutes, depending on whether it was an emergency or whatever. In a planned cesarean, then that's when it's usually about an hour or so. Wow. Okay. So hold on. So let's, so let's talk this through. You've gone in, your baby's been born within 10 minutes, and now you've got another hour to go inside this theater. So what is happening? Where is your baby? What can you expect at that point? 
So if you're leaning more and more to having a gentle Caesar or a skin on skin Caesar, and this is something I've certainly fought for for a very long time, especially moms who are choosing to have the Caesar for personal reasons, and there are many good personal reasons as well, but they don't want to miss out on having that baby straight away. It's not allowed in many hospitals in South Africa, but we're working hard on that as we're just trying to educate staff on the benefits of skin to skin and that baby going to mommy for both of them as soon as possible. Because if she's had a booked Caesar and she's had no labor at all, like in your case, you'd had some labor, your oxytocin levels were working beautifully, your endorphins were working for you, and they were still in your system and you had your, your Caesar. So your you and your baby would have got the benefits of that. And your baby would have gotten lots of the benefits of labor that labor brings. So never ever kind of feel like I ended up with a Caesar, I did it for nothing, because never ever have you done it for nothing, especially if you've had a labor terminated by cesarean but if you are having your caesar this is something you'd have to discuss with your obstetrician and him with the pediatrician okay as well because the pediatrician is there in theater as well and he's waiting for that baby so it's that whole thing of time okay and he's got clients that he needs to get back to in his rooms to see parents and that so it's not as you'll have your skin on skin possibly, but it would be less time, but you've got to so, set up for it. You've got to be prepared for it. You can't just ask them as they're wheeling you in. It's something you would have needed to discuss before. So just, just how, so just, just how natural can this process be? So, I mean, in a vaginal delivery, we don't like to clamp the cord too soon. The baby can still be attached to the cord when they're placed on their mum's chest and then the mum can actually be birthing the placenta while the baby is on her chest. Talk to me about how much of that is possible with a cesarean section and how much of it is not an option. Okay, so delayed cord clamping is a huge, huge benefit. And more and more of the doctors are realizing it and they're doing it. And it can be done in cesarean as well. So probably would be considered delayed up to 60 seconds is fantastic because a third of the baby's blood is outside of its body when it's born so we just need that flashback they can wait 30 seconds and they can then because the cord can usually re reach up they can but is then the baby uh, now sure on your chest at that time or at this time they're going to wait probably a little bit at 30 seconds which just goes very quickly and then they would show the, the baby to mother they clamp cut the cord and then it would be given to the midwife or the pediatrician, usually the midwife takes it, and then they would take to the mom. And this is where you need preparation. There, there would be that area. So if her one hand would be free, the other hand, she'd only have one hand that she can use. The other hand's out with her drips and that in. And we warm that area. Now, remember during labor, the oxytocin warms up her mother's body so that she can actually, she's much warmer, up to two degrees warmer when we put that baby on the chest so we keep our baby warm. What our hospitals around me is they blow some warm air onto the mother's chest and onto that baby and then that baby and that mom and partner can then meet and greet that baby without having necessarily the APGAR can be done there the very first test that your baby has on your baby's state at birth and one minute five minutes ten minutes and that one minute APGAR can easily be done here it's just a matter of changing the thought process and that baby's getting all the benefits of skin on skin the most important one and I really want to mention this because these are when people say to me, I, Tina, I never knew that I would have made a different decision had I known. When baby comes through the vagina, there's the microbiome, there's this whole thing of that immunity, seeding that baby's immunity. Now, if the baby hasn't had any access to any 
outside microbes, the good stuff, then we want to get that baby skin on skin because we have a lot of microbes here and we want to get that baby to breastfeed. So although we're missing out on the microbes of the, especially the lactobacillus and especially of the rectal um, microbes, okay, babies could still, like in your case, your babies would have got your vaginal microbes and that because your waters have broken and it was that invading. But not coming right through the passage, we and not picking up the the the, the the sort of the rectal or fecal microbes. We want to get that baby skin on skin there, and that's the the hugest benefit of all. So mm-hmm. touching that baby, smelling that baby, getting mommy's hormones going because she hasn't had the buildup of hormones, which is why she might. We'll struggle a little bit with the breastfeeding after Caesar. It just takes a little while for her body just to adjust and to have had the baby. So let's get the oxytocin going. Let's get the baby on the breast as soon as possible. So to summarize what you've said there is that the baby will come out. They will do about a 30 to 60 second delayed cord clamping so that the baby can get all their lovely stem cells. The baby will be passed to the midwife. We'll pass it to the mom, lay it on her chest. And the important thing there is that the baby's skin to skin and breastfeeding as soon as possible. So babies do not need to, in this circumstance, leave and go into a neonatal ICU or into a warm incubator to be warmed up because the mom's chest can do it adequately if you've set it up in the right way. So if, if there's been no emergency, there's no need to rush that baby out of theater. In fact, the longer that baby can stay with the mom, the better. But it's colder. Remember, it mm. is colder. And that's one thing babies can't do. They can't warm themselves up. Mm. So once they've been with mom, whatever, she's getting stitched up. She's sorted out. There could be the, the, the time with dad as well. But the pediatrician is waiting. You've had your five, maybe 10 minutes with baby skin on skin. Pedi's going to take, do a quick check on your baby and then give your baby back to the partner. Usually you're not likely to have half an hour or so there's too much going on around there so we make up for that time afterwards and I think everybody's had a baby and you and I specifically know how important those early moments are and it's something you can never get back so if you're Mm. going to lose it then it better be for a really really good reason yeah. And so, you know what I mean? And that would yeah. be if your baby yeah. wasn't breathing, if you were bleeding out, they would need to then rush the baby okay. to, to the neonatal Very ICU interesting. and you would not argue. Very interesting. Okay. So we've had our babies. The next question and probably the last question that we're going to have time for today is how long do we stay in the hospital after our little ones are born by cesarean section and how do we manage pain? So what, what happens afterwards? Okay, so your stay in hospital is usually two to three days, probably more three to four. Mostly moms are going home on day three, depending on the situation. But usually by day three, you're going home. What's important while you're in hospital is to learn as much as you can. Because remember, you're not only postpartum now going home to a 24-7 job you've had major abdominal surgery and on the level of hysterectomy and you would you're not allowed to drive for three weeks maybe as long as six you're going to need help at home with lifting you are going to have some limitations and and you've got a wound that you've got to think about you'll have pain but in a different place from where vaginal birth mom would have it kind of in her vaginal area your pain is going to be your upper ribs here the trapped air you might have bladder issues or getting your 
urine going again. You, with C's very often, one of the things they want to know is how, you know, have you have you passed a stool, but have you passed urine? So that mm. we can see there's been no damage to the bladder. So a full bladder can, it can be a problem. Constipation can be a problem. And then you've got a wound that you've got to look after and you've got to make sure that it doesn't get infected. There's no bathing for the first four weeks or so. Um, and then your dressings are going to be done differently for different doctors. Showering is all good. And the way they, they put dressings and that on you, they, they are amazing these days. Not like when I did my nursing, it was very different. And we've come a long way since then. What I really want to say is the pain relief. As your pain starts coming back, and you're feeling the pins and needles, you might think, oh, no, I'll be fine. And then the full onslaught of the fact that you've just had a major operation is going to hit you. You normally get an opoid of some kind and an anti-inflammatory. Be sure to take it. If it's mm -hmm. there, prescribed for six hourly, make sure you're getting it six hourly. In fact, if they haven't come to you after about five hours, start reminding people because it takes a while to find the sister who's got the drug cupboard keys and then to give, draw up the drug and then someone goes on lunch and then they forget to give it to you. So make sure, rather keep your, your pain relief consistent, mm. even when you're feeling okay because you're taking it, then to feel anything, have screaming pain and then try and get, get rid of it again. So be sure to follow your doctor's instructions. Take your pain medication. You can still breastfeed. You're going to have to watch with your positioning. You, your milk might take a little bit longer to come in, but it will come in. Just get help. Eat well. Sleep as much as you can. Anything you would do going home with a new baby. I know that sounds ridiculous. Sleep as much as you can, but sleep when the baby sleeps. Move. Move, move, move. When you get up and you make sure that there's always someone around in case you faint or don't ever lock mm. the bathroom door in hospital that we can't get to you. Do you know those little those mm. things? But get help because especially with lifting and even mm. beforehand, cook up your meals. It's just with surgery, it's just another layer of things to consider. Very interesting. Well, it really has been a fascinating chat, Tina. And I think you we've kind of delved into stuff that yes retrospectively it's all stuff I know because I went through it yes. but when you're heading for a cesarean section you've got no idea and so this has been super useful to just talk about everything from the anesthetics through to what happens to your baby immediately afterwards and then of course a little bit on recovery so Tina as always thank you so much for your wisdom it has been fabulous connecting with you and yeah we'll definitely be taking this conversation further with you another time so thank you Tina thank you so much Meg it was my pleasure Thanks to everyone who joined us. We will see you the same time next week. Until then, download ParentSense app and take the guesswork out of parenting.